game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors: Chris Allen and A- A- Adam Wildy. All right, and welcome back, everybody. This is episode 13 of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. I'm your host, Chris Allen, and I'm here with, I mean, we keep the guests coming in every week. We keep them coming in hot, and uh, this week is absolutely no different. We have the wonderful Derek Brown with us tonight. And Derek, man, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. I'm um, in the throes. I don't know if it's going good or if it's going bad right now. I'm in the throes of uh Scott Fishbowl draft, so it's... It's a constant push and pull. It's like having a, a, a bad girlfriend that you can't quit. Absolutely. You love her and you hate her, depending on the pick. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think. Uh, so, what division are you in? Um, I'm in uh, Andre, actually. Okay. Where and y'all at? I'm in the uh, Turk and JD Iconic Duos division. Adam, which oh, one are you oh, in man. again? I'm Rick and Morty, other Iconic Duo division. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, and we're in, I think right now we're somewhere in like the middle of like the 10th round. So ours has been going like at a pretty decent clip. There have been, you know, some stops like while folks have been at work, but I'm not too mad at like how quickly the draft's been going. But as uh, I was talking with Derek, like before we started recording, pretty much uh, I'm in like a murderer's row when it comes to the folks that are drafting in my division. So while I might think that my pick is solid, Every single pick that I see after mine, I, I like. I just start to regret my pick more and more. So, but I mean, we'll see. It's all for fun, and I'm, I'm having a blast doing it. So I, I really can't complain. It's, a, it's an honor to be a part of such a, you know, such a grand event that Scott Fish has been able to put together year in and year out. So I'm just happy I'm able to draft in it. I would assume you guys would agree. Oh, absolutely. I'm just happy to be involved in it, especially when you get. The numbers, what did he have, like eight or 9,000 people supposedly sign up for this thing? I think it was something like that, yeah. That's amazingly awesome. But, yeah, no, I, I'm just – I had a buddy uh, message me earlier today. He's like, who do I pick? Who do I pick? Like wide receivers and stuff. And I was like, dude, whatever, man. It, it, just have fun with it. Yeah. If you get the guy, if you win, I mean, uh, everybody wants to win, but – it's not like you're going to hate throw the remote at the TV if you lose a week or something, you know? Exactly. But not necessarily why we brought here tonight, Derek, and we wanted to get into some uh, contract discussions. Because when it comes to, I mean, the NFL and when it comes to just uh, fantasy production or dynasty redraft or whatever, I mean, of course, we're concerned with how much, how many yards a player puts up. Of course, we're concerned with how many touchdowns a player either catches or throws. That's, I mean, that's an obvious when it comes to fantasy. But really, the real football, I mean, and what's actually happening in terms of how much these players are getting paid when they're, when they're getting either extensions or when they're getting trades, a lot of that people now try and use in order to determine really how much work that we can project for a player to have. So, 
getting into the contract discussion, I mean, do you think that contracts in and of themselves are something that we as fantasy owners start to overvalue? I guess in the sense that if I see a player that's getting signed for a large amount of money, should I just go ahead and expect them to go ahead and get see the lion's share of the workload? I think, I mean, of course you're going to take every situation a little bit differently, but like we were talking off air beforehand, I mean, a perfect example of this, like what you're talking about is, so you take Sammy Watkins, Chiefs gave him a buttload of money, okay, and everybody's super divided on how are these targets going to be divided up, is it, is it Sammy, is it Tyreek, is it Kelsey, what's going to happen with that, and I have a hard time believing in sometimes if you're going to pay a guy money, you're not going to pay him that much money. This is not like a, a grunt position. This is not an offensive lineman. This is not defense. This is a guy that you're going to pay him because you want him to come there because you're going to use him. So if you're going to pay the man the check, he's obviously going to get the targets. He's going to get the looks. Like, why the hell else did you do that? You could have just re-signed Albert Wilson. You know, so... Every situation is a little bit differently. I mean, I handle it a little bit different, like contract structure and things like that. But as far as big money deals, yeah, I mean, the money talks. You know, there's some kind of truth to that. Couldn't agree with you more in that. I mean, that I think you put it as simplistically as possible when you're saying that money talks. So if they are putting up that much money for a player, regardless of if they structure it out to be, you know, like a five-year deal or a seven-year deal or whatever the case may be, the price tag necessarily doesn't necessarily dictate the production, but it damn sure dictates how the team feels about that player and what they can do on the field. So with that being said, I would agree that you're saying that it correlates to how they feel about them, but do you also think that it projects to the amount of volume that that player is going to get? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely do. I think that they're they're going to pay him, and in that money, you find the opportunity. And so that is, I mean, essentially that's buying his target share. Same thing with Allen Robinson going to the Bears. They're not going to pay him. So uh, the Bears are, are actually a, a better conundrum because they brought in Taylor Gabriel and Allen Robinson. All right, well, you paid both of them money. Who did you pay more? They paid Allen Robinson more to be the one. That Taylor Gabriel is not going to be the one in that offense. So I do think equates the dollar values do equate to opportunity and in some instances like that. I, I think that it doesn't work out in every single offense because you do have to look in a sense of, one, how the offense operates, and two, where does this player fit into that offense? But in those two instances, yes, it perfectly correlates. And Sammy's a tough one to crack, in my opinion, because he is so important to an offense outside of targets. But I will say that I lean more towards him getting the uh, increased targets there with the Chiefs. But um, on the other hand, maybe he was brought in to do the same kind of deal that he did with the Rams where he was just that field stretcher. And, and he really did take on a lot of doubles and a lot of rolled coverages. So, you know, they – the teams don't really care about our fantasy teams. You know, we always say that, but I am really hoping that the money equates more towards Sammy's value as a receiver and a high market share target than they do towards what he did more with the Rams, which is kind of stretch the field and take those coverages. But when you're looking at these players' contract situations, what figure specifically in the contract situation are you kind of looking at? 
so what what I'd like to look at it is is not so much I guess the guaranteed money and things like that, but how does it play out as far as year structure? So after say okay they sign a, a four year contract, okay two years into that or even one year into that, can they cut this player for no dead cap? Basically, poof, they just wash their hands of him. Or is that dead cap hit very high throughout the contract? To me, that's where you get the true value of how much do they really love this guy for the long term? Because you see all of these these figures just tossed out there, you know, like... People get four years and and forty million dollars, and and people see that at, for face value, and they they equate that to it being similar to to like a baseball player. So baseball players, they get their contracts, they sign them. Dude, they can cut them, they can release them. The dude could just say, "Screw you, I'm out." Like go Bobby Bo style and say, "Peace, I'm out," and I'm gonna pay it for the next twenty five years. Doesn't matter, you know. But football isn't like that. You have guaranteed salary, you have dead cap space. They're structured very differently. And with the turnover of the NFL, they could cut these guys and not owe them a cent. And so that's really what I look at. I look at not so much uh, how much they're getting paid as far as their cap hit and the yearly values do matter, okay? Like we were talking about with Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel. But the thing that you want to know is for his dynasty value, that comes down to dead cap and how that kind of works out and – does that dead cap just slowly trickle off or does it just drop off the map like with some players? And so then you look at it as more of, eh, it says four years and 40 million, but it really is one year, 15 million because they could just say after year one, you got hurt, you sucked, you're not what we thought you were, bye, done, peace out, and and, and you're gone. If I'm understanding the, the conversation completely, so really you would start at the the price tag right you would say okay so if it's 50 million dollars 40 million dollars 15 million dollars or whatever so that would be i guess step one step two would be the length of the contract itself from what you're telling me the the real piece of information that we would look for as dynasty owners would be that dead cap or whenever the team has an out from that contract <clears throat> let's see for example uh what's what's jarvis landry's uh, contract was like five years 55 million some, something like that five years 50 million somewhere in that some, range yeah somewhere around there sure so let's say if you were to take that same contract, split it between two players, but one player had, let's say, four years guaranteed, but then for the same player, there was only money against the cap for the first, let's say, for just the first season. The way I'm understanding it is that you would think that the player with the four years of guaranteed money or with four years against the dead cap would be valued more than the player with just one year. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. That's that's exactly how you look at it in, in a nutshell, because then it it boils down to what are you getting as the true length of the contract? Because then the team is on hook for that money for that length of time. So you, you brought up Jarvis Landry. Yeah, I mean, he's got if they were to try to cut him right now, he would be cap hit roster signing bonus, everything. Thirty four million against uh as far as dead cap goes that drops to 18.5 next year 4.5 the year after that three the year after that and then 1.5 and then he's a free agent so 
considering he signed a five-year, $75 million contract. I mean, it, it, it it's I would read it more of as a two- to three-year deal instead of like a true five-year deal. Because an NFL team losing one to three million is nothing. I mean, that's that's a drop in the bucket. They can recoup some of that. Now, I mean, that's not to say they won't restructure, but in the essence of this contract, I'd say you look at that more as a two to three year deal. Okay, <clears throat> and so for and especially for a team like the Browns, like who we know have a decent amount of cap space, that wiggle room that you're talking about when it comes to that dead cap space in the one to three range. That's not going to hurt them that much. But then if you were to look at a team that's a little bit more strapped for cash, like let's say uh, the Eagles, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're fairly strapped for cash. So mm-hmm. that $1 to $3 million, it might hurt them more, but at the very least it gives, the, it gives the player it gives the player a little bit more leverage, and then also it allows the team to, I guess, to really reevaluate how they feel about that player. I think what we're getting at, at this point is that it's a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the whole puzzle. So yep. if you're making the argument for Sammy Watkins to get targets because of his elite skill set that I believe he has, and to say that he had the role that I thought he had, which was more of a football player, maybe less of a fantasy asset with the Rams at the time, that was just his niche, then maybe you think when he comes to the Chief and you get Pat Mahomes' rocket arm that he's going to get that value. But you add on top the huge contract he gets, and that's just a nice little bonus on top. So since we've been talking about free agency so much, does free agency mean anything different to you by position? Oh, yeah. If you go with your standard diagram, okay, team drafts player. Player goes through his four- or five-year deal. Player comes out. Now he hits the market. In that case... A lot of times your players are hitting free agency at 26, maybe 27 years old if they get the fifth year option, if they were 22 when they came into the league. So looking at different positions, it's absolutely different. I mean, you have some of these guys that that hit free agency looking at a 26, 27-year-old wide receiver versus a 26, 27-year-old running back is very different. J.J. Zacharyson has done a lot of great work with talking about value in running backs producing most of their value on their rookie contracts in the first few years of the league. There's not as many players that hit running back free agency, and they're 27 years old. They might have another, what, two years in the league until you kind of see all those carries stack up versus a wide receiver. They have a longer shelf life. So if you take it for running backs – Maybe two years, still maybe a peak, maybe three if you stretch it. It depends on the workload and injury history versus a wide receiver. If you take them with the same, you take, you just go apples to apples and you say, okay, just by age and injury histories, the wide receiver should have a longer shelf life. And so, yes, based off of positions, I think that you're not going to see the same type of length out of contracts and the same type of value placed on these running backs once they hit free agency. C.J. Anderson is a perfect example of this. He's 27, I believe. He only got a one-year deal from the Panthers. For a guy coming off a 1,000-yard season, he was productive. He was productive in in a dumpster fire offense around him. So why didn't he get a longer deal versus a 27-year-old wide receiver? Because he's not going to get it because – at that workload, at, after all of those touches, 
his shelf life in the NFL and his effectiveness are going to drop off the map before wide receiver. And you just segued us into so many different segments that we're going to hit on because we're about to hit on the Broncos where CJ Anderson just came from. And then I can't wait to get into Carlos Hyde and how bad the Browns boned him. But we'll start at Denver. (laughs) I just want to start with really is Keenum the guy there? I thought Josh Allen would go there, though I would have hated the pick, of course. Or I expected a trade back. Or I expected a trade back. And they did the right move. I mean, they they took a guy that, you know, could have gone number one had the the quarterback class not been better. I've even heard people say that he might end up being better than Miles Garrett. So they didn't go quarterback. Is Keenum the guy there now? I think Keenum's the guy for the next two seasons. I, his deal is structured. I mean, even if they chose, they'd have $10 million in dead cap, uh, I believe, next year if they wanted to cut him in the second year of that deal, which I don't think they're going to do. I think that he's going to be the guy for the next two years. Now, whether – I mean, obviously, he's the unquestioned starter this year. But going into next season, whether they – considering the quarterback class and how Keenum plays – I think this is make or break for for Case Keenum. He he is going to he could easily establish himself as the the short term franchise guy there over these next uh, basically probably this year because this year if he plays up well, then the Broncos are faced with okay because he's not old okay he's uh, thirty or thirty one years old that that's that's still you're basically a puppy as far as quarterbacks go i mean these guys are playing until they're 38 39 years old a lot of times and you don't see the effectiveness drop off that much at least not to enough where teams can't you know make up for that based off of skill position players around them so if he plays well this year he could play himself into being their guy if he doesn't then next year broncos go into the draft and they take a quarterback high and you let him sit for a year, or you just let it play out in training camp. But I, I think Case Keenum, this is make or break for him this year right now. And he walks into a offensive skill position situation very similar yet older than the one he already had. Kind of speaks to my confidence with Jake Butt as well. Huge Jake Butt fan, but I'm also a huge Kyle Rudolph fan. I think the, the situation's relatively similar, and he has the ability to play. I mean, he showed it last year. He has the ability to play. So I don't see why he couldn't get a long-term deal there. And that would help the Broncos immensely because they seem like a team that's not willing to rebuild and they'd rather dig themselves out of the dumpster rather than kind of bask in the dumpster a little. So getting into the skill position players, I know you've got the info on Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. So what's up with their contract situations and how do you see that shaking out going forward? Uh, they're go- both set to be free agents in 2020. You have Demarius, Co- uh, Demarius Thomas. Next year, he is going to have a 17.5 million cap hit. They can cut him for 2.2 million in dead cap, uh, whether versus Emmanuel Sanders, who only has a 12.9 million hit. But if they cut him, they're going to eat 2.6 million. So DT, he, Thomas is a, is a year younger as well. So next year he'll be 31 versus Sanders being 32. And that's basically how their contracts stack up. Everybody wants to talk about how they're going to cut both these guys. They drafted a lot of wide receivers and they're gone. They're both gone. And, and I'm like, really? Is that exactly how? They, I mean, I get that they drafted a lot. They got Deshaun Hamilton. They got Carlos Henderson. 
I'm blanking on somebody else. There's a third guy there. Sutton. Um, Sutton. They got Cortland Sutton. Supposedly Demarius Thomas's replacement. And I, and I don't, I don't fault that in the sense of how their makeup as players and, and things of that nature. But do I think that they're just going to sit here and say, okay, three guys sitting behind or two guys right now that are going to soak up a massive amount of targets this year. Are they going to show enough either on the field or in practice to where one, we need to get rid of the money that bad or two, we have enough faith in totally revamping our entire wide receiver core next season. I just, I don't think it's exactly that simple. Like, we're going to take the two old guys, we're going to cut them. We're going to let the young guys play. What if they suck? Because that can happen. Not every wide receiver class is 2014, so we need to kind of lower our expectations, especially this wide receiver class this year. That was, I mean, it doesn't matter what you were listening to, who you were talking to. You listen to Kuyper, you listen to Matt Walbin, you listen to anybody. This, this wide receiver class was not as good as years previous, and it sure as hell is not as good as the wide receiver class for next season. So I don't think it's as simple as we, okay, old guys cost money. We cut old guys. Let young guys play. Mm, uh. Like it, it just doesn't work that way. And Deshaun Hamilton was relatively closer to a value pick at his pick. And he won't affect the outcome of these contracts too greatly because Sanders only took 13% of the slot duties last year. DT was even lower than that. They kind of just scrambled guys through the slot. Sanders most was 18%, and that was two years ago. So really we're just kind of looking at what Sutton's going to do. And if Sutton excels, then you might need to talk about getting one of those outside guys out of there. But we also need to mention that we're talking about one guy, Demarius Thomas, who's been mentioned in the the elite category. It's very difficult to get into that elite category of wide receivers, and he was certainly up there. And then Emmanuel Sanders isn't a wide receiver to sleep on either, as he's mentioned greatly on social media. Those are both guys that have thousands yard seasons. So it's going to be difficult to just shoot them out there, as you said, because some rookies produced. Well, and I, I guess I see this a little bit differently. I, I see this, this could play out in a lot of different ways. And, and we talked about restructuring and, and both of these guys are going to be free agents the same year. And so like this is make or break season for Case Keenum. This is also make or break for Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders in the sense of not only like their future in the league, but on this team. So you have both these guys that are going to hit free agency at the same time. They're both carrying big money contracts. So Demarius still went out there and he put up numbers last year. Emmanuel Sanders kind of, he, he was, he was hurt a little bit, but this season, if that plays out again, so if Sanders or Thomas, one of them plays up, one of them's hurt. If they both play up, then you got a coin flip going into the off season, or do you just keep them and ride it out? Or if one of these guys plays well and the other guy is fell by injury or just ineffectiveness, you know, I could see this playing out a number of different ways. I could easily see, say Sanders doesn't play well, I could see them restructuring, re-signing Demarius Thomas, hell, even keeping him, playing Sutton on the outside opposite him and letting Hamilton play in the slot because Hamilton was awesome in college in the slot. And so you you have to believe in the NFL. That's probably where he's going to profile. So Hamilton's probably the best guy that I think is going to see the most snaps this year, 
just based off of how he is as a prospect. He's a very good route runner. He gets open. He had, I think he was top 10 in um, all of college in yards uh, receiving from the slot. So if in three wide receiver sets, I think that Hamilton's probably going to see the most snaps out of those three young guys that they have there in Henderson, Sutton, and Hamilton. So if Hamilton plays well, do you re-sign a Demarius Thomas if Emmanuel Sanders doesn't play well, play him and Sutton on the outside, and you play Hamilton in the slot, and you let Sanders walk? So this could play out a number of different ways. I, I guess to sum this up, this is a make-or-break season for um, Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas, and how they both play I think is going to factor into what this team does in this wide receiver court going forward. So next we're going to talk about our buddy Addison Hayes. Just revamped the site, ffstatistics.com, and it looks awesome, and it's actually usable on mobile now. I used to try to use it anyways, and it was very difficult oh. scrolling side to side. So now it is awesome, man. I went to try to use it today and couldn't figure it out because I had to find some buttons moved around. But we have FF Statistics trivia every week. I'm going to be a player. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, and you guys are going to try to tell me who I am. So we'll start with I switched teams this year, and I finished as a quarterback one last year. I had five games over 25 points, but I also had six games under 15 points. What quarterback am I? Kirk Cousins. No, but almost. Oh, I'm trying to remember. That would be Case Keenum, I think. It's Alex Smith. Damn. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I didn't recall him having any. Oh, uh, he played really out of his mind, games. man. I just the high games I, for I, sure. I, I, yeah. yeah. After he said Cousins, I blanked on all the free agents. I was like, crap. Who signed everywhere else? Uh, <sighs> there was only so many, and I was like, nah, I was I like, where where to go? Where, mm. Who was it? <laughs> yeah, I was surprised by the low games, actually. I mean, he yeah, finished I didn't think so that'd be that well. many. Huh. No, I didn't think so yeah. either. A lot of them in his defense were close to 15, 15 to 15 or unders. They were close. He didn't have a lot of, a lot of ducks. But Chris, why don't you go ahead and start us on Cleveland, man? Yeah, absolutely. So again, like, we're talking about contracts and then once we focus in on Cleveland, I mean, the first thing that folks are already talking about is how soon is Baker Mayfield, the man of the 2018 class, like how soon is he going to take over? And now Tyrod Taylor, I know he has been a fantasy staple for the past few seasons. And when it comes to late round quarterback, if anybody subscribes to that particular draft strategy, that is Tyrod Taylor's home. Like that is who, that, that is what the late round quarterback strategy was kind of built around, like players of his archetype. And so I'm happy to see Tyrod find a home, but it's only on a one year deal. So with that being said, how long of a leash do you think Tyrod has before we see Mayfield out on the field? I, before I get into this, do you two love Baker Mayfield? I gotta ask this before I talk. I guess I'm sort of neutral. I traded Jarek McKinnon for him, and that was very easy for me, Ooh. so I guess you can take that for what it's worth. Is that super flex? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, you smart man, you, Chris. <laughs> uh, I would say I'm, I'm pro Mayfield, cause I, I think that, um, I think based off of the talent, I think that he has the tools necessary in order to be a quarterback, like a starting quarterback in the NFL. But I think when compared to what he has, or I guess the competition in front of him right now, I think that he could use the time wisely in order to better translate his game to the pros. I absolutely agree with you. I love Mayfield. Love him. The guy has produced every single place. I mean, he walked out of college. All right, starter. 
went to the college starter, has put up numbers. It doesn't matter what freaking metric you look at. I love Baker Mayfield, but I don't think that this is the year. I just don't think it, man. You, you are the Browns. They traded a third-round pick for Tyrod Taylor, and I know it's a one-year deal, but I think it's it's designed like that, and they're not going to re-sign Tyrod because they want to give Baker a chance to sit. And if this team just goes into the trash can, I can still see them sitting Baker and playing Tyrod. Now, especially, I think the Browns are going to be a better team than many give them credit for. I mean, you have a, a, a this team lost five games last season by four points or less, and two of those went into overtime. So, I, I look, I get it that they didn't win a game, but this is not the Lions of yesteryear. This was actually a decent-ish team, a good enough team that should have won four to five games last year, put it that way. But Deshaun Kaiser just, pardon the punt, threw them away. Like, killed them every single time they got in the red zone or had a damn chance, man. And so I think that Tyrod is going to play all year. Uh, unless injury or anything else, I think that he will play. He carries a $16 million full cap hit this year. I don't see why you paid the guy in the one-year deal to do that you traded away the draft equity to get him to what to pull him after a bye week i think that considering that you have the man that came from kansas city is now their gm i think if anything you could see a patrick mahomes-esque cameo at the end of the season but past that i don't think that baker is going to start a lot of games outside of injury yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to that entire situation. I mean, a lot of folks I know are, they're excited. I know Cleveland's excited after seeing all the trash talk and, you know, Baker grabbing his crotch and, you know, all those other things like, you know, coming through the draft process and they want to see him play. But at the same time, it's like you need to make sure that you're making the right decision. And while Baker might be pro ready, if you have the option, and the and the Browns do in order to have Tyrod start, especially with as you just mentioned the contract situation that they place themselves in by bringing Tyrod onto the Browns. I think they should go ahead and exercise that and let Tyrod, the established starter, in order to give Baker the time in order to really bring his game to the next level. I'm sure we'll see him in preseason, and like you just said, I'm probably I'm, I'm certain that come week. 15, 16, 17, you'll probably see Baker sprinkled in a little bit more. But when it actually counts, like during the, you know, the first three quarters of the season, I'm expecting to see Tyrod. So now moving on, so we go from the quarterback situation and then now we're going to turn to the running back situation. And now this one, for some reason, this, it kind of breaks my heart because I, I am a Carlos Hyde fan. I mean, when you see a player like Hyde, he goes to SF, sits behind Frank Gore. When he left, everybody assumed he was going to take over the job. He plays, gets injured, plays through that. And I think last season, I think he played admirably. I mean, I don't think that the number of targets that he received is anything that's going to be duplicated. Moving over to Cleveland, and now in the contract that he got here, I was like, okay, so this man has a decent shot to work alongside Duke Johnson. We've got Tyrod. Now that whole offense is going to start to click. And then here comes Nick Chubb. I mean, what are we supposed to do now with Carlos Hyde now that we have possibly the 
number one prospect out of the 2018 class, depending on who you talk to. I mean, now if we're looking at the entire Browns offense, or at least just the running back position, what are we supposed to do with this information? I, from a dynasty perspective, I was telling people you need to sell Carlos Hyde. Be, but just looking at, cause I was looking at the contract as soon as he signed it. They posted up details. And it, and we're talking about websites. I love using, uh, and I'm gonna butcher this probably, uh, spotrack.com. They break things down amazingly. It's my go-to for contract stuff. So, as soon as they posted all the details of his contract, I was like, dude, it's, it's not meant to be. You sell your shares, you get out from under this. I, I I'm, I'm sorry, man. I, I got some love for Hyde in the sense that, like, what this guy has had to play through and things like that, and I get it, but I, I don't see him as the dude. I just don't see it. Like, I think that if anybody had shares of Hyde, they should have been selling them before the draft because now, man, you're better off trying to go trade for Nick Chubb and riding it out because you're not going to get two cents on a dollar for Carlos Hyde. I mean, the contract just screams from the very beginning they signed him it screams Cleveland's version of Latavius Murray. Because if you if you put these two contracts up side by side, Latavius Murray came in, he had a cap hit of two point nine million, three point five in dead cap. Carlos Hyde, three million cap hit, five in dead cap. In second years of this, they both kind of drop off. And the dead cap kind of just slowly kind of inkles out. And so what that says to me for Cleveland that walked into this offseason with the most cap space of any team in the NFL, it says, okay, we got money. Let's go out and, and, and get this vet, get a guy that we believe that if he needs to catch the ball, he can. We got a guy to do that, but we don't need him to do that. But he can if we, if we need to throw it in his direction. He is not Jordan Howard, so he can catch the ball. So, But I think that they looked at it and said, all right, we got money. Pay the guy. If we don't get the running back this year that falls to us, we got a guy still here to lean on for those early downs because they've shown they don't want to do that with Duke Johnson. He's in the pass game. He's not. His volume is not going to go up. They don't believe he can handle it. That's just not the way they see him. So I think that Hyde, honestly, like in Dynasty, I, yeah, I'd be. I would take. The Hyde situation and the re-signing of Duke Johnson, and I would go out and try to buy him cheaper than you could in your rookie drafts at the moment um, because his value is lower than it's probably going to be in the future. I don't like the fact that they re-signed Duke Johnson because I think that Chubb can be a – I think he could develop his pass game skills just in the film that I watched on him. His hands are good enough that I think he could be serviceable there. But I think that I think that Chubb is eventually going to be the guy. If not week one, by midseason, Nick Chubb is going to be the man back there. I mean, he's he's a great running back prospect. Chris put it great when you said that it breaks your heart, Chris. It really does because I loved Carlos Hyde leaving there. And as soon as that information got out, I was just thinking, man, that was such a horrible business decision because as you alluded to, Derek, it was very front-loaded. They had the most money and the most draft capital. Why would they not take a running back in this loaded draft class? That, that information was present to Carlos Hyde and his people why would they assume 
that the Browns would not take a running back. There was no way the Browns weren't going to take a running back. I personally believe that he was Saquon Barkley insurance in case they could pick him up at four. Don't think they would have ever taken him at one. But Nick Chubb, to me, was before the injury, maybe even after the second most talented running back there. And that says a lot from someone who likes Geis as much as I do. So it really sucks for Carlos Hyde going into free agency at 28. I don't know where he goes or where he plays, but it's going to be really tough sledding for him. He's going to have to be part of a committee next year. Yeah, He's I just going to find a backup role. And uh, I think we still want to play the uh... – the linear comparison from Latavius Murray and Carlos Hyde and Chubb and Dalvin Cook in that spot. So you had Dalvin Cook, who was taken in the second round, 41st overall in that draft. Uh, Nick Chubb was taken in the second round, 35th overall. So there's a lot of parallels, man. There's just there's too many parallels there for me to just absolutely dismiss and ignore for everybody that wants Carlos Hyde to be the guy. Basically, for him to be the guy this year, you have to – basically believe that Nick Chubb is a slouch, that, that that he's overrated, that he's not as good of a running back as he is to believe that Carlos Hyde, because it's sure as hell is not the contract. It's, it's not that, and it's not the draft capital. Unless you really thought that his injury from two seasons ago was that much of an issue, I guess I could see that. But I think that his numbers in 2017 showed that he was at least on his way back. I just don't see it, and I'm not sure when the transition is going to be between Chubb and Hyde, but I think it's coming. I think I think it's probably going to happen at some point in the upcoming I mean, it, season. It could be if if he blows the roof off in preseason. It could be week one. Yeah. I mean, they're not they're not talking about it like that. But how many? Unless you get picked in the in the 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 first round of the the first half of the first round, how many rookies ever walk in and the coaches say, "Yep, he the guy. He's going to be it." I'm giving him the ball. That's, that's my dude. Like, that's not going to happen. Saquon Barkley is the only guy that is getting those types of reassurances. You don't even hear that out of Sony Michelle. You don't hear that out of second-round running backs. That's just not what happens. The NFL is a, for all the nepotism and all the, the old ways of the past, they believe in earning it. You know, and I, I, I get that. There's There's some merit to that. But just to say that the coach doesn't come out and then pat him on the back and be like, he's our dude, that does not mean that he's not. I totally agree. And then now flipping over to a wide receiver that we mentioned earlier in the form of Jarvis Landry, I think the concern is that in Miami, he was the guy in terms of wide receiver targets. I mean, the man was picking up targets like they were going out of style down there. But now you come into Cleveland and we have established pass catchers almost at every level. With his contract, can we still expect to see, I guess, the same type of volume? Or does his contract dictate that he's going to still see that same type of role? You get the you get the contrast that I'm making there by saying that? Yeah, I so I, I guess here's my thing. I don't think that we're going to see the same type of volume, so to speak. I, but does that mean that Jarvis Landry can't still be good? I I do think that he will be the one in that offense, and I know and, and I, I look at Todd Haley's offenses in the past, and I look at the way that they've set up this contract, and I look at Jarvis Landry's skill set, and that I think he's a better wide receiver than somebody that just runs five yard out routes. Just that's all he can do. That's it. Period. Man, if anybody's ever watched this dude in some of those Pro Bowl skill challenges and stuff, that guy has got insane 
hands. He can get open. He can get space. Because they didn't ask him to do that previously, because, I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. Adam Gase is not a good coach. But I think that Jarvis Landry is a better wide receiver than what we've seen. And I think that considering the contract, that I think that Landry will be the one. Do I think that he's going to get the same target share? No, in the sense that I think that it's going to even out a little bit. Do I see... Landry, who's averaged, uh, I think, 152 targets over the last three seasons, getting that? Not necessarily considering the weapons around him. I think that he can get into that 120-130 category because of passing volume and stuff. So everybody wants to talk about Tyrod Taylor, and he's never thrown this many passes in his career, and blah, 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 blah. But if you take his per-game averages, because none, none of those seasons are 16 games then he should finish somewhere around, without an uptick at all, he'd be at about 459. So if you look at Todd Haley's offenses, he runs everything through the wide receiver one. The wide receiver one for a Todd Haley offense averages 26.3% target share. Now, I know that you know he's had Antonio Brown. I know that Larry Fitzgerald, okay? But Cleveland's favorite son was also one of, in one of those offenses when Haley was uh, the head coach in Kansas City and Dwayne Bow, which not many people might remember that name. But this is all to say that the way that he operates that offense, that I think that they're going to run it more through one wide receiver. Does that mean that Landry gets up into that 160 target range? No, I don't think that. Does that mean that he he out-targets Josh Gordon, and they use Landry more down the field because they've already come out and said that they are doing that in camp. Yes, I think you could peg him for 120, 130 targets, and Landry is still going to be a top 20 wide receiver this year. Just to piggyback off that real quick, I, they've shown film of them getting downfield as well. And I, if you saw the Pro Bowl game that you kind of alluded to, uh, he had that amazing, amazing catch downfield, which I want to say was from Alex Smith. Um, but, and that was, that was just like, my goodness, I can't wait till he hits free agency because somebody has got to use this guy. Now don't take him completely out of slot. He's probably the best slot receiver in the NFL. Maybe I'm forgetting a few people, but he's got 160 targets, most receptions in four years in NFL history. So don't keep him out of the slot, but that guy can probably move around pretty well. So it, it, this is a very limited sample size. And, and one of the things, if you go on Twitter uh, at sports info underscore SIS, they have amazing info. And one of the things that I, I, cause I was, there's not a big enough sample size to me to truly just craft an article and rub it in some faces. But if you look at Jarvis Landry and his route breakdown from 2016 to 2017, okay, when he ran out route, I mean, obviously that was most of his targets. Whenever he, ran deep post patterns, he only got six targets. He caught four of them for 65 yards. His completion percentage, his on-target catch percentage were all above average. On the routes that he had, so corner route and post routes, the man only had 16 targets, but he caught 11 of them. So anything that he had an average depth of target longer than, say, like five or six yards 
he was still, I mean, the numbers are there. His catch percentage was there. He showed on the routes that he can get separation. It's just the sample size. You know, so is it enough to say that it's definitely going to happen? I think it's going to happen considering they already come out in training camp and in a small sample size, the guy showed that he can do it. So do I think that Jarvis Landry is going to be the next Antonio Brown in this offense? No, I'm not coming out and saying that, but I think that he's a more well-rounded receiver than five yard outs. Sure, sure. And we're going to round the corner here coming up on the end. What we want to get is some practical application before we get out of here. That's what the show is all about. We're going to take the contract knowledge, the free agency knowledge that we've just gathered. And real quick, we're going to just drop some knowledge on who our sales going into free agency are next year and our buys. We'll just go ahead with both and we can kick it off. I'll go first. My, my sell is going to be Tevin Coleman. I don't know why it's so exciting because of Jarek McKinnon when we haven't seen Jarek McKinnon with the 49ers yet. But Tevin Coleman, nonetheless, is riding the coattails of what just happened with Jarek McKinnon, and his value is increasing heavily. Getting into the season, it might even get higher because he's actually good, and he actually hits the field still. So I would probably sell Tevin Coleman not currently, but once he gets on that field and he starts putting up numbers, I'd probably be selling Tevin Coleman going into free agency because free agency for a running back is scary for me. I'm not going to take the limited sample size on Jarek McKinnon, especially since I haven't even seen him be successful after free agency yet, and go ahead and say that this running back going to be 27 years old is going to be running back one somewhere, especially since there's very, very few running back ones anywhere. Then my buy is going to be TJ Yeldon, mostly because the price is the exact opposite of Tevin Coleman, and he is going to go to a committee. So if you're paying one seven maybe for Tevin Coleman, and he's going to end up in a committee, why not go out and get a guy like Yeldon who's produced a little bit in his first season, and then he still produces when Leonard Fournette is out on his occasional two to three games with the ankle, and he could be had for, what, you know, maybe a third, something like that you get TJ Yeldon for and take your chance on him in free agency instead of taking your chance on Tevin Coleman. But I'll go ahead and kick it off to you, Derek. Who's your buy and sell because of free agency? Oh, so uh, very quickly on Tevin Coleman, I think he was riding on the uh, the coattails of Derrick Henry and all of that uh, supposed future RB1 love, which <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Deion Lewis squashed mm-hmm. this year. But my buy has got to be Jamison Crowder, man. I got a uh, an article coming out very shortly for Gridiron Experts uh, on Jamison Crowder. I love Jamison Crowder. Walking into free agency, the guy is 24 and I think that there is still immense upside. I think that he's going to get a good contract wherever he goes. I just don't think that we've seen anywhere close to his ceiling yet. I like Crowder, and the NFL is going more to these RPOs. They're going more of running the offenses through slot receivers. So to say that you know Jamison Crowder is just a slot receiver, that's not a bad thing. That's not a knock. Like people used to say, well, you just run out of the slot. So what? I don't give a crap. They're throwing it to the slot. Let him run out of the slot. That's where he's effective. So I, I would be going out and buying Jamison Crowder. And the guy that uh, you talked about him earlier, and I'm sorry, Adam, the guy that I would be going to sell is Kyle Rudolph. And the reason is because another 24-year-old wide receiver that is super talented is coming up to free agency and that is Stefan Diggs, and the Vikings are going to want to re-sign this guy. You don't pay Kirk Cousins to come in there and quarterback and not 
put weapons around him. So is Kyle Rudolph a free agent next year? No. But we're talking about all this contract stuff. The Vikings can cut Kyle Rudolph for none, nada, zero dead cap next year. So if it comes down to a tight end that's going to carry, I want to say off the top of my head, it's between 10 and 11 million for a cap hit versus re-signing their wide receiver one, it, it's not even a question. They'll cut Rudolph. They'll re-sign Diggs. That's what's going to happen. So if it's for me, with all the Kirk Cousins love, you sell Rudolph. Get rid of him right now and and, and get a young asset, picks, whatever you can. Because the, the, the value for Rudolph is is high right now. So I'd be getting rid of him. And so to take us home, I'm going to go through both my buys and my sells. And at least from a buyer's perspective, I'm going to go, I'm going to take a little bit deep. And I'm looking at the backfield from the Ravens and I'm, I'm going to look at Buck Allen. And now I know a lot of folks are going to take a look at that and say that, well, he's just a guy. They've also got Alex Collins. He Irish danced his way into a starter's job last season. But if you look at both the runners and, and compare the two, I mean, Buck Allen actually didn't perform all that bad. He was heavily utilized in the two-minute drill and on third downs. I think his success rate on his runs was fairly similar to Collins. He had something close to like a 46 or 47% success rate. But he can also run on the interior. He catches passes. He's known for his uh, for his hands, his pass-catching acumen. So I think that with his skills, I think he is much more valuable to a team regardless of if you know if the Ravens re-sign him and they kind of just let Kenneth Dixon go by the wayside because of his current situation I think that his skills exceed his current value and he can be purchased for pennies on the dollar at this point in time so I think he would be somebody that I would like to target and keep on my roster considering where the Ravens are at right now in terms of their team and their quarterback situation I would like to have a pass-catching running back that would go with my mobile quarterback in Lamar Jackson if that is going to be the transition that's going to occur, whether it's this year, next year, or what have you. In terms of myself, I'm going back to the Cleveland Browns. I'm looking at Josh Gordon. I mean, regardless of, I mean, you can take the suspension worry, set that aside, and again, just look at his value. I mean, how do you expect the Cleveland Browns to now produce a wide receiver that's going to continue, that, that's going to have this next level talent, this next level production that we just don't think is going to, we can't see ourselves coming out of Cleveland. I just can't see it. I can't see him repeating what he did three or four years ago. And right now, I think would be the best time to sell because you see all the pics on Twitter of him being completely jacked. You see the way that the offense is set up and they're primed, they're primed for 2018. They're going to come out. They're going to win some games. He's going to catch some touchdowns. But after this year, I mean, what, what, what can we expect in terms of his value? I mean, it's not going to get greater. I mean, it's probably just after that, it's probably just going to decrease. So right now, it's probably your best bet in order to go ahead and cash your chips in now, flip him for what you can, and then you keep it pushing. So those would be my my buys and my sells you know, for this year and looking and looking forward in terms of free agency. So with that being said, Derek, I mean, we appreciate you coming on this evening. Uh, but before we let you go, I mean, would you have any other, I guess, tips for dynasty owners when they're looking at either contracts or just dynasty uh, dynasty tips in general for the folks listening tonight? Um, well, first of all, can I give you a slow clap for the for the Josh Gordon take? Um, <laughs> I, I I I love it, man. I love it. There's no way I I, I can't get on it. 
Dude's getting paid less than eight hundred thousand this year on a one year deal. Yep. He's gonna be twenty eight next year. So slow clap all day. Um, as far as dynasty tips, I think that right now all the rage in dynasty is superflex, man. And uh, really quickly, if I could tell you anything, do not draft a quarterback in your first, second, or third rounds. Not unless you're in the Scott Fishbowl. Don't do it. Uh-uh. Don't do it. You can find value later in quarterbacks in those sixth, seventh, through eighth rounds. Great quarterbacks. I love targeting Stafford and Cousins there because everybody wants to go with the hot commodity. So Superflex is all the rage, man. Don't underestimate the scoring. Do not get your quarterbacks, get your running backs, wide receivers, and your quarterbacks and tight ends a little bit later. So that, that'd be my quick tip before I, before I get out of this piece. But thank y'all for having me on, man. I, I love talking Dynasty. I love, I've been wanting to get on here for a while. Oh, yeah, Good man. Stuff. And we, we appreciate you taking the time to come on. I think this has been a wonderful conversation. And I know that we only touched on a couple of teams and maybe a few players, but we'll definitely have to have you back uh, in order to get into some more stuff. So, Adam, uh, what else you got for the folks this evening? Oh, yeah, I'm just really happy that you came on, Derek. That was a lot of fun, man. And um, before we get out of here, can you let us know where to find you on Twitter before I forget? Because I'm very forgetful. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you can find me at dbro underscore ffb. Uh, I'm working on a few different articles. Got that one for on Crowder. Uh, all my writings at Gridiron Experts. Uh, also at uh, Roto Underworld, which is PlayerProfiler.com. And I should have my first uh, article dropping for Number Fire pretty soon. So yeah. I- I'm trying to take after Chris, man. I'm trying to get all these different places to write for. Man, setting <laughs> the uh, he's paving the road. I'm just trying to follow follow behind, you know. Yeah, if there's a platform that'll take me, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll write for you. It doesn't even matter, That's man. Exactly. Same way I am. I'm like, if you have me, I'll give you words. I'll give you typing. I'll do it all. It's all good. Exactly. <laughs> and if we're talking about follows, please go ahead and follow the Dynasty Owners Manual Twitter at Dynasty Manual. You can also like us. You can subscribe to us on YouTube now. You can also subscribe to our podcast, and we'd love if you'd review us uh, on Stitcher, and we're working on more platforms. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Yeah, 100%. I can't agree with you guys more. So, again, we appreciate everybody coming out this evening. I'm your host, Chris Allen. I'm on Twitter, at ChrisAllenFFWX. And, again, appreciate you guys coming out, and we'll catch you all next week. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. Owner's manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic.